This is Rupert Grin, and this is Mugglecast, your number one podcast for everything Harry Potter. Take it away, Andrew. Thank you, Rupert. Episode 53 for August 27th, 2006. GoDaddy.com presents Traffic Blazer. Submit your business info to more than 200 search engines and directories and position your website for top rankings with Google and other leading search engines. With Traffic Blazer from number one domain registrar GoDaddy.com, you'll get your share of internet business. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. I'm I'm Jamie Lawrence. (laughs) I'm Jamie. Nice, nice guys. And Ben Shane is not with us because he's late, as usual, and this week we, just started, we decided to start without him. Noticing <laughs> and in the face of confrontation, Jamie's last name just disappears. He's like, sorry, I'm Jamie. <laughs> he yeah. No, no, it isn't really confrontation. It's more uh, trying to build up a sort of personal relationship with everyone, you know, oh, so right. I want to... Uh, I think, I mean, I may even just shorten it to Jam next time, you know? <laughs> jam Jam. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to lie, I'm feeling kind of important tonight because i got a photographer right in front of me. For the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer, taking a uh, taking pictures for what is it again? The coolest people ever cover article, something like that. <laughs> uh, speaking of awesome people, Micah Tannenbaum is standing by in the MuggleCast News Center with the past week's top Harry Potter news stories. Wow, Andrew, you sound a little different this week. Some disappointing news for those of you who are looking forward to a good grudge match in the Order of the Phoenix film next summer. We've been informed that there is no storyline in the movie surrounding Ron's Quidditch hardships, nor has there been any filming on broomsticks done by Rupert. We're led to believe that this means there will be no Quidditch in the fifth film at all. Midday has an excellent new interview with Order of the Phoenix director David Yates, Potter actor Dan Radcliffe, and Cho Chang actress Katie Lung. In it, we learn Yates's approach to directing the film, the kissing scene between Dan and Katie, and much more. Yahoo News reported earlier this week that Jessica Stevenson has been cast for the role of Malfalda Hopkirk, who works in the improper use of magic office at the Ministry of Magic. And we have also received three more European release dates for Order of the Phoenix. The film hits Belgium on July 11th, Denmark on July 13th, and Poland on July 20th. Staying with movies, Goblet of Fire was awarded the Choice Movie Drama Award earlier this week at Fox's Teen Choice Awards, voted on by teenagers across the United States. As we reported back in March, the Goblet of Fire DVD set a world record for the largest selling DVD on its first day in the United States, which was roughly 5 million copies. There is a scan from the Guinness Book of World Records, which also includes a picture of Dan holding the certificate on the set of Order of the Phoenix. And a few days ago, the nominations were announced for this year's batch of World Soundtrack Awards. A song on the Goblet of Fire soundtrack called Magic Works was nominated for Best Original Song Written for Film. These winners will be announced on October 14th at the Flanders International Film Festival in Ghent, Belgium. The Daily Record has published a new interview with actor Rupert Grint, who reveals that he recently failed his driver's test. He also wants to continue playing Ron in the Potter series through the seventh film, and Yahoo Movies recently posted the trailer for Rupert Grint's latest movie, Driving Lessons. The film will hit limited theaters on October 13th. Tom Felton gave a small interview to the Junior Carp Tournament's website. Tom talks about filming progress on Order of the Phoenix. He says that it's three-fourths of the way completed and predicts that 50% of what he shoots will make the final cut. Finally, as I did on the very first news one year ago, Happy birthday to Ben Shane, who turned 17 this past week. That's all the news for this August 27, 2006 edition of MuggleCast. Back to the show. Okay, thank you, Micah. Some some more names for Micah here. Uh, I think we did this one already. We've had this Micah one, Fenner, yeah. The Micah Chip, Micah Tech, 
What I mica about you? That's a new one. <laughs> mic atomic bomb. <laughs> mic atomic. Just don't stop. Now, Andrew, did you forget about the news this week? How it's a year old now? Oh, how could I forget? Thank you for reminding me. So I am bet, I. I. I bet Micah told you because he knew that I was gonna, I was gonna forget. Yep. Am I right? Yep, you are right. <laughs> what? I don't get it. Micah Tannenbaum's news turns one year old today. Hey, wait, all right. Jamie, I see. Jamie, yeah? doesn't this, this means you and I also turn one year old today? No, Eric, it means you and I in a little toy shop, shop. bought a no, bag it, of it, balloons it, with it, the money we got. It does, doesn't it? Because it was episode uh, three, four? I think it could be. I, it was episode like three. It's around that, yeah. Oh, yes, it was. You're right. Three or four, three or four. It was something like that. Yeah. And uh, now we are here. We are a year later, and Mike has still got still kicking the news. So thanks to him for his excellent weekly reporting. Dedication. Uh, let's move on to yeah. Let's move on to a few announcements now. MuggleCast T-shirts. Pick up your copy today because they are running out quickly. Completely limited edition. Yeah, they they really are limited edition now, and we're gonna be selling some new designs very soon. Also, don't forget to vote for us on Podcast Alley and California. We have lots of California updates. Um, Unfortunately, Ben's not here to read off the uh, California song winners. Because he's lazy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where he is, actually. But um, California, I haven't even told you guys yet. That's how bad of a host I am. Um, we are aiming for September 28th at the borders in Westwood, the Westwood area of California. Great. They're very excited to have us. So mark your calendars awesome, now. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And uh, we'll have some... Updates on LeakyMug.com. Go there for RSVP and more information and all that. Um, there's been now... Hold on one second. Reporter's here now. Reporter's here now. Okay, okay. Welcome, everybody. Tony. Say hi, Tony. Hi, everybody. Hey. Hi. Hi. Ben just called me and he said that he completely forgot, which explains how which dedicated is he is to the show. <laughs> We've only been doing this really, show yeah. for, what, you know, over a year? A year and a half, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So we'll get we'll get lyrics next week for everyone. Listener rebuttals this week though. Our first one comes from Julia, sixteen of New York. Uh, she ri- she writes in response to minor versus major character death discussions on episode fifty two. She says, while Cedric is not a major character, his death impacted Harry at that time nearly as much as killing off a major character like Sirius or Dumbledore. Uh, does in the later books. Cedric's death is the first death Harry experiences firsthand and gives him the first taste of what fighting this war is really going to be like. He is put on guard. His friends and classmates are in very real danger. By having the first experienced death in the series be of a minor character, J.K. Rowling allowed us Harry allowed Harry to be more prepared. If Sirius if Sirius had been the first witness murder, then it might have been a bit too much of a shock for us as well as Harry. Harry would have had to deal with the shock and grief that comes with watching someone die for the first time, along with the sadness that comes with losing someone you love. This is a long one. Perhaps Cedric's death desensitized Harry just enough that after that. That after Sirius died, he was able to get through his misery and depression enough that he could continue with his life by starting off with a minor character of death. Rowling made sure things happened in an appropriate order. Cedric's death left us misty-eyed. Sirius's murder caused a few tears to fall, and Dumbledore passing on caused more flat-out sobbing. And Ron kicking brought on by Julia. the bucket in book seven is going to cause some suicides among us all. Yes. Yeah, but wouldn't wouldn't you agree that um, part of the reason Cedric's death struck Harry? so strongly was because of their close age. I mean, they were so close in age, and the fact that Harry saw that, you know, no one was spared, 
and Agreed. even even teenagers were being killed and one person was supposed to die in the graveyard that night and it wasn't supposed to be Cedric it was supposed to be Harry and he saw the death that was the first death that he saw so oh yeah this can be you you know this will be you almost this true but i think it reinforces the points that we were making that um that it it it's a minor character but it's not a minor death you know it's it it tells harry a lot this thing so you know when joe said that um that she um, wasn't killing off minor characters. I don't think she was particularly saying that every single character she kills uh, is, is is important, but every single death that she creates is important to Harry. And obviously, as this person says, takes him along a journey where it just gets worse and worse and worse and shows that he's in the middle of a war. Agreed. Right. And I, I mean, and this was his, the first death that he had seen, and, you know... Well, question. Do you think without Cedric's death, I mean... It's in book five, I'm rereading book five, and it seems like you know the ma- vast majority of the wizard population doesn't believe Dumbledore and Harry, even though Cedric's, uh, you know, you died. They just know that Harry appeared from somewhere with Cedric dead. Do you think without Cedric dying, they they would have had no case, and and even less people would have believed Dumbledore and Harry? Um, or, or, or would have been, you know, would they have been able to prove successfully that Voldemort returned? Without the question mark of how Cedric died? Don't you think that that kind of makes it worse? Because, you know, Cedric's uh, death, there wasn't a mark on his body, obviously. They couldn't prove anything. Harry just came back with this thing, and it could have looked like yeah. uh, the whole Voldemort that coming back thing was just a cover-up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Perhaps we can do a what-if. What happens if Cedric said, no, it's okay, you have the cup. I'm going to go and... You know, right? Take a break. I, I don't think <laughs> as many students would have been on Harry's side. I don't think as many people would have come to the DA and that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know not. that Cedric might not have. I don't even think Cedric would have believed Harry, or he may have because they were on well, okay terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I'm talking Eric, about people. Yeah. Eric, to be fair, he is dead. He won't be believing much. You know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, just, his final... Just, it's just a minor point, obviously, but... Uh, no, his, his final remarks, take my body back to the fangirls, you know, they, they were uh, they, 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 they were pretty <laughs> sweet. <laughs> Jamie, you want to take the next rebuttal? Yeah, sure. Um, this is from Caitlin16 from Aberdeen in SD. Where's... What is that? What's SD? Come on, American Pop Quiz. What is it? Oh, um, okay. South Dakota. South, South Dakota. Dakota. Oh. You know, <laughs> I was like... <laughs> Every single British place, there's a place called it in America. Everywhere. Yeah. Ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs> the subject is Dada, depending on Stark Arts. Because of the curse Voldemort put on the DADA position, none of the DADA... Oh, God, I can't say it now. Teachers have been able to stay for more than one year. I find it interesting that the DA only lasted a year as well. As a secret defense class, Harry acted as DADA teacher. Do you think that because Harry acted as... DA, DA teacher, the curse was a reason that he didn't continue with the DA. Whew, God, I'm going to break after that. Um, <laughs> it wasn't much. <laughs> anything that's kind of interesting, that's why I... Yeah, uh, that was it interesting. In yeah, it is. But um, I don't think you can call the DA, DA and the DA synonymous. Well, yeah. Okay, let's have a competition for the person who can send in the longest sentence composed of only DADA. That was like three sentences. Right? One, two... DADA, uh, no, PDA... Four, three, four, no, I mean only DADA. DADA, DA, 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 Is that another t-shirt giveaway? Um, no, because I think Sam will get off by keep asking him to send one. Good points, good points. Next rebuttal comes from 
Taya, 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 16 of St. Louis. In the last show, you guys discussed the possibility of Mad-Eye Moody becoming the next Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Although that would be really cool because he's such an interesting character, he's too busy with his business for the Order to spend his time teaching. No doubt he's got a lot of places to go and things to do for the Order, but he wouldn't be able to do his job at Hogwarts because he'd be focused on teaching. So I think it might be someone from the Order, but maybe someone more insubstantial. I love your show. I agree with that. I really do. I think that um, I think that the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher in Book Seven is going to be someone that we know, but it will be someone insubstantial because Harry's not going to be at Hogwarts, so we're not really going to need to learn all that much about that person. And again, it can't be somebody too important, too good at auroring if it is an auror that that does teaching because they're supposed to be you know helping the cause. They can't be holed up at Hogwarts, you know, teaching. Exactly. They can't go and. They can't go and, uh, you know, start fighting the war, but then say, oh, well, I've got to be back to mark some books, you know? It's a, yeah. it's a full-time job. It's a full-time job. Yeah. That's like, actually, over there, that's like, uh, I was watching this political uh, satire program in the UK, and they were talking about the, quote, territorial SAS, which is our special forces. And it's like, uh, it's like you're either in the... SAS, or you aren't in the SAS. So this territorial SAS, this person was saying that they're behind enemy lines, they're fighting, but they've got to get back on Tuesday to do their job. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's British satire, not... No, exactly. I was I was just about to say, you, you, you know, I tell these things about British humor and it's just met with a uh, yeah that's good that right. is well, well it's i still find it interesting it's still kind of like cultural something anyway what I, I what eric interesting in a kind of n- not funny not at really all way. Way. yeah yeah <laughs> cool i sent you an article jamie earlier today from a girl who emailed uh it was an article in the bbc um and the article said that oh yeah british humor is 15 percent funny or something like that because of the accent so i think that kind of backs up the theory that the jokes that I tell every single week are awful. Well, well, uh, Jamie, and, does the SAS, yeah. do, do they have guns? Yes, it's like your Delta Force. What's our Delta Force? I, I you, you know more about this than I do. Oh, right. Delta Force is your um, <laughs> is your, one of your special forces divisions of the oh, um, right, uh, American right, Army. Okay. Okay. Anything else I you find it really, I find I it really Brits sad no that more. Jamie has to yeah. educate well, Anything else British Americans. people know more about Eric. us <laughs> than... Anything what? else that you want to know about your country? Where do you live again? I'll tell you if, you, uh, if you've if you forgotten, you know. Yeah, Eric, that's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Next rebuttal. This is going down quick. Next rebuttal. Joanna, 18, of Kala- Ka- Ka- Kalamazoo, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Is that a real town? I guess so. <laughs> is it? What's it? Philadelphia Inquirer photographer says yes. Have you really? What's it, what's it like? It's a small town. Oh. Kalamazoo. It sounds like oh, a go. Google spinoff. It's a small town. You heard it here first. She writes, Joanna writes, what do you guys think about the possibility of Bill Weasley becoming the new DAD professor? I mean, he's he's the one at Gringotts, right? <laughs> okay, let me stop this for a second. <laughs> <laughs> when you're writing these rebuttals, we're, not, we're too lazy to go through and edit them or read them like we were going to read them on air, so edit them for us, and then send them <laughs> No, exactly What's right. wrong with this? Come on, Andrew. Then we look Come on, right. Andrew. Andrew. Uh, you, can't, you can't just read over what the errors. Hi- he writes, Haikus in she a writes, iambic pentameter. Yeah, yeah. 
That's exactly what I expect. He writes, I mean, he's the one at Gringotts, right? So maybe he wouldn't have any experience teaching, but hey, he's a nice guy. He is, as Harry says, cool. He's experienced fighting Death Eaters. He's got battle wounds, dot, dot, dot. What else do you need? He could gain experience as he goes, and I'm sure he knows enough that he could teach these kids. Also, that would allow a member of the Order to be at Hogwarts without compromising a major player. I'm interested to hear what you think. Kudos for... It's a good final point. Yeah, completely uh, browsing over what we were just saying about how they couldn't be a major player, um, but if they were in the order, it would still be nice. The only problem is the battle wounds, uh, yeah. you know, reason. Yeah. Uh, his battle wounds kind of make him part werewolf, and people don't like werewolves teaching their kids. Sorry. Even if it'll never mature or whatever, he's still got... Uh, still looks know. like a bit of a yeah, werewolf. But- wouldn't wouldn't any of the parents who would have that kind of opinion take their kids out of Hogwarts anyway at this That's point? That's true. That's true. You could say, well, you know, screw them. They'll well, homeschool them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And for more, I love views how you guys all mock me for being homeschooled. No, we don't. We don't. <laughs> no, we talked. We did a whole. We mocked the idea of um, being homeschooled, home taught magic. To be fair, yeah. Exactly. You know, Why? <laughs> well, uh, okay then, Laura. How many people do you know who uh, who honestly? On a Wednesday morning at home, eat breakfast, then get their wands out and um, cast some spells, and their um, mom teach them I'd how to do it. I'd say about fifty. Uh, 50, 50 people, well, I don't think fifty is you know very representative, but uh, <laughs> of the world population <laughs> because the Wizarding World is so huge. Yeah. It is. Okay, uh, let's move on. Erin, 31 of Pennsylvania, she writes about Ben in Nebraska. She draws an interesting parallel, and this this really freaked me out. In Prisoner of Azkaban, Harry is sitting in a muggle street in the middle of the night, wondering what the police will say when they find a boy with a trunk of magical items. Ben is sitting in a muggle street in the middle of the night, wondering what they what the police will say when they find a boy with his laptop stealing wi- Wi-Fi. Wow, the parallels. That's Good pretty point, awesome. Aaron. Good point. Good point. This next one, these are some weird emails this week. Michelle, age 10 million. 10 million. 100,000. 100, and she writes, You guys played a voice thing that said the book, they're called voicemails, that, that said the books have year one, year two, and so on. It's on the spine about the paperbacks and hardcover editions. Um, not all of them. I think when they first started printing these, uh, they didn't have year one and year two. Really? Like, like yeah, my, really? my copies don't. So, that leads me to believe they did that just because they wanted to put something new on the spine of the reprints. Hmm. Huh. The UK editions don't have them I don't, on the spine. Laura, are they on, are they on yours? Like? Um, they might, I don't know. I have a newer mind. version of Sorcerer's Stone because my old one died. <laughs> but yeah, yeah my newer too. one uh, has your one on it. Yeah, I killed it. I'm sorry. Aww. It was a Horcrux. <laughs> yeah. And last rebuttal comes from Doug of Brisbane, Australia. He writes about fuel prices because we talked about this last week, and oh, this, this 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 kills this kills me. Hey, just listening to the show, I heard the outrageous prices of fuel in the U.S. and U.K. We have a two easy down here with a dollar twenty AU per liter, which is approximately ninety cents United States. Oh, terrible! Wow, that makes me want to cry. What? I know. <laughs> I buy it. I buy that just for the sake of buying it, petrol, and then just what was that, Andrew? <laughs> store it somewhere. Ship it back here. Do you drive, Laura? Yeah. Oh, you do? I didn't know that. I'm almost 18 years old. I Laura do drive. drives. Yes. Oh. What car do you have? Is it pink? I don't have my own car. I use my dad. Does it have zebra skin? Oh, okay. Never mind. When you get a car, will it have zebra skin? No. Okay. You'll have to explain this joke, Eric. I must admit, I think I'm a bit behind. <laughs> That's not a joke. I just, I just picture Laura as having... Okay. Sorry. I mean, Andrew's conversing with the reporter, so we can just yeah. continue to ask Laura strange questions. I was conversing so with the reporter. Apparently no origin. Huh? 
<laughs> I was conversing with the reporter. Here, say, say hi to the listeners. Hi, listeners. <laughs> yeah. This is Tony from the Philadelphia Inquirer, and uh, when when is this article going to be in the... Sunday, likely. Oh, Sunday. Hi, Tony. Okay. I'm down here in Reading. Cool. Check me out. Eric says hi from Reading. I'm from coming. <laughs> 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 well, when I when I told her you were from coming over the phone, she she was like, "What's that again?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I spelled it. It was it was awkward. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Our main discussion this week is Aberforth Dumbledore and uh, Eric. You put this little one together. L- so, little uh, one. <laughs> you're you're in charge. No, not little. Sorry. I don't put any little ones together. <laughs> All right, go for it, Eric. Oh, okay, a little bit of an introduction, but then we're going to follow an actual structured thing, which is in the rightly, so everybody check this out. Okay, all mugglecasters on deck here for this one. Okay, uh, listen. Okay, in uh, in Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 16, uh, page 335, U.S. edition, Hermione leads Harry and Ron through Hogsmeade on their first free weekend to the place where an unknown amount of students are going to come to hear Harry's plans for the soon-to-be DA. Basically, they're all coming to hear his story. You guys remember this? Um, uh, yes, Hermione yes. Sets, Hermione sets the whole thing up, um, and he just kind of follows it after a while. Anyway, so he asks Hermione, he says, where are we going anyway? And Hermione says, the three bro- – uh, well, Harry suggests the three broomsticks. She says, oh, no, said Hermione, coming out of her reverie. No, it's always packed and really noisy. I've told the others to meet us in the Hogshead, that other pub. You know the one. It's not on the main road. I think it's a bit, you know, dodgy. The Hogshead is described as being uh, not all at like the three broomsticks. It's small, dirty, one room, and it smells like goats. <laughs> this is the place where Hagrid once won, won uh, Norbert, the dragon, as an egg, and everyone in it typically keeps their heads covered and their minds to their own business. Now, what's important about the Hogshead, apart from its location, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, is the bartender. After many hints and references to goats in the lot, J.K. Rowling finally told us that the bartender is actually Aberforth Dumbledore, Albus's brother. Uh, this connection, I suppose, is where the mystery and discussion really begins. Aberforth was first mentioned in Book 4 by Dumbledore. Uh, Rita Skeeter's article on Hagrid comes out, and in order to cheer him up, uh, Dumbledore tells of how his brother Aberforth was prosecuted for pra- uh, practicing illegal charms on a goat. It was apparently something really big in the papers. Uh, <laughs> this t- I know, goats, right? But Aberforth continued to, quote, go about his business as usual, uh, though Dumbledore then expresses concern that Aberforth may not know how to read. Now, this is what I want to bring up first about Aberforth, his first conversation and appearance to Habby, uh, Harry. In, in Chapter 16 of Order of the Phoenix, in the Hogshead, he's described as a grumpy-looking old man with a great deal of long hair and a beard. He's tall, thin, and looks vaguely familiar to Harry. Harry walks up to him to order butterbeer, and all he gets is a grunt. What? The other, the only other choice words Aberforth has for Harry is six sickles, which he takes for Harry almost you know blatantly, and then he goes to help someone else. In fact, Ron finds Aberforth so shady that he discusses trying to get a fire whiskey off of him, even though he's underage. Hermione scowls. So, first question is, what exactly do you guys think is up with Aberforth? I mean, illegal charms on a goat's, you know, grunts for an answer, and he polishes, cleans his cups with a dirty rag that looks like it's never been washed before, and he actually makes the drinking glasses dirtier. The Hogshead is a bring-your-own-glass establishment, (laughs) advises Professor Flitwick to Hermione, and it seems like the barman is completely nuts. So do you think that Aberforth is pretending to be stupid, or is he just really this creepy, distant, kind of in-the-background guy? I think, I think he's the in the distance. Yeah, whenever I heard about I heard about illegal charms on goats, 
that pretty much confirmed um, yeah. what I feel about him is that he's kind of creepy and out there and goats. I just... And goats. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Well, still, like, it kind of fits, though, in an interesting way. Do you, like, that Dumbledore and Aberforth Dumbledore would be brothers? Because they're, they're both kind of whimsical in their own ways, like, I guess... It makes sense that if – doesn't it make sense that if if Albus is this you know social genius and he knows how to work people like Fudge, knows how to get out of tight spots, doesn't it seem fitting that his brother would be you know just as weird with obviously lacking some of those skills and they kind of complement each other, do you think? Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, I'm not sure he'd be lacking in any skills though. I mean – Well, Aberforth? Because yeah, he I seems mean, like – a social wacko, like he is. Well, Dumbledore's weird... kind of a social wacko. That's He's just true. a nice one. <laughs> well, still goats. You said it yourself. Yeah, it, I mean, well, it's... it doesn't mean he's unintelligent. Laura, so in coming, do they just go around, you know, picking up goats? And, no, uh... no, no, no. See here, here you have Uncle Daddy. We don't. <laughs> people don't mess with goats here. Um. So wait, he is actually in the order, um, or he was in the old order. Uh, back at Grimold Place, Mad-Eye Moody's looking at that uh, picture, or he shows Harry that picture of the Old Order, uh, including Harry's parents, Wormtail, and that, and it shows Aberforth Dumbledore. Mad-Eye Moody says he only met him once, uh, and that was the time when that picture was taken. And so he's he seems to be, like, really mysterious, even to the other Order members, because Moody only met him once, and if he's in the Order, that kind of seems strange. You know, they always see people dropping by at headquarters, that kind of thing. Well, think about it. If the Hogshead is kind of a shady place, what better place kind to have of. an order member? Yeah, I agree. And also, it's like there are some people who are on the good side, but you wouldn't want them around for dinner. You know, so it, it's like it's like Aberforth. He is obviously on the good side, but he isn't the kind of person who you can trust to drop by and you know. It's like yeah, yeah. He's like Mundungus. It's like his. Jack Sparrow says in um, in the oh, first Rise of the Caribbean, um, you know, I <laughs> if I get this a hundred percent right, which I know I won't, uh, it'll be good. But it's the you know me, I'm dishonest. It's the honest ones you've got to watch out for because yeah, okay, I'm, I don't is. know, but you know, it's that it's it's that he'll always be dishonest. Perhaps a before I can't believe I'm making this parallel. This does not work at all. <laughs> I've, I've yes, never, but you know, it's, it's the he's, Johnny Depp works with anything. Yeah, I, 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 I agree completely. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Yes, he but, does. Are just both fangirls for him. And anyway, um, so he's, um, you know, he's completely dishonest. And although he can, he can be trusted to help. I don't think he can be trusted with the most, you know, sensitive stuff. So perhaps um, it's that. You know, Mundungus. Yes. No, I don't think he's untrustworthy. But he's just perhaps um, incompetent. Awkward. Yeah, awkward and incompetent. Okay. Right. Okay. He's like Eric. We like him, but we just don't want him places. Don't want, don't want him right. <laughs> okay. I'm just kidding. No, that's just fine. Kidding. But it's funny you mentioned Dung because Dung is Mundungus is in the um he's in he's in the uh, pub when Harry and them go and, and uh, try and start the DA dressed as a veiled witch, which actually Sirius says is because Dung was thrown out of the Hogshead. Um, 20 years before, something like that. So apparently Dung is actually banned from the Hogshead, but in addition to that, in Book 6, Aberforth is actually spotted with Dung in Hogsmeade when, uh, right before Katie gets attacked, and when Harry uh, finds Dung stealing Sirius' stuff, when they walk up to him, 
they they see the barman. Harry recognizes the barman from the Hogshead, and just as they start walking up, Aberforth puts like his tights ties his cloak a little bit tighter and walks away. And that's when Harry finds. But but Dung and and Aberforth were talking. So do you think uh, Aberforth has a hand in in Mundungus stealing uh, Sirius' stuff, or was he trying to buy stuff off of him, or what? Because Dung and Aberforth were seen together in that street, but yet Dung is supposed to have been banned from the pub and all sorts of stuff. Like, is that just for show? Is the whole thing just for show? Um, what if he's, like, Albus's outsider? Like, I thought so. Not outsider, but, like, he does all the dirty work that he can't really be seen what? doing. You know like what killing saying? people and... Just like the... No, just like with the trades with Sirius. Well, guys, put it this like way. Um, ho- you know, Hog... The Hogshead and Hogsmeade. Hogsmeade is so close to Hogwarts. So my opinion is that it's it's a uh, a location thing because there's obviously if if you want a pub in Hogsmeade, I uh, you you're, there's either the Three Broomsticks, which is crowded with all these happy-go-lucky people, and then there's the Hogshead, which is this dusty, grimy place. Everyone keeps their cloaks up, you know, you know, and and covers their faces. And so I'm thinking, well, if you know, Hogsmeade is kind of a strategic uh, location if for Aberforth to, to have a bar because, you know, the Hogshead obviously attracts a lot of the shadier, dodgy people. Um, so things like, well, Hagrid got Norbert there. Um, so I guess it makes sense that Dumbledore would have known about Norbert the whole time. Yeah, and if it also doesn't seem seem like a place where, you, where you'd be watched, you know. Uh, you go there and pe- people don't judge you. It just seems like a place where everyone's weird and it's okay to be weird there. I mean, you know. Right. And Ron, like I said, Ron seemed like seemed to think Aberforth was really passive because he, he was going to try and get a fire whiskey off Yeah. Him. So that's really interesting. The prophecy. Because uh, Aberforth was there. Aberforth was like the only other person besides Snape, Dumbledore, Harry, and Trelawney who, who has like anything to do with the prophecy as far as we know. Um, because it was the Hogshead which is where the prophecy was made. It's where Albus went to interview Sybil and Snape, or Trelawney and Snape, and Dumbledore was interviewing both of them that night for a teaching position, which kind of gets into Snape. But basically, uh, during Trelawney's prophecy, Aberforth came in uh, holding Snape by the scruff of the neck, is this correct? And, and he said this man was listening in or something like that? I think, it's, I think we're putting slightly too much importance on him, I must admit. Um, well, he's a main discussion. If, if we're putting importance on him, it's my fault. No, 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 no. It's fine. I think, it, I think it's it's interesting that it also shows that he just seems to be part of the plot, but not, you know, he he's like a fun thing. The thing about goats, the only reason that was there was so we recognized him in the in the bar as the bartender. It, it just, you know, it, it seems like just a um, a challenge to us to recognize that. It doesn't seem like it's important to the thing as a whole. But the fact that Harry sees uh, Aberforth and Dung together in the street when Dung is nicking Sirius's stuff, it, it seems to me that Aberforth might have actually... Do you think it's possible that he bought the locket off? If Dung had actually collected that locket, wouldn't it be really convenient if Aberforth then bought it off of him? Or, 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 or something like that? Since we're worried, like, the whole question is, is the locket still at Grimmauld Place if Dung was That's very stuff? true, yeah. And, uh, you, know, you know, and then so I, I picked this out thanks to Lexicon, who's, who said that it was Aberforth who was seen, and I thought, well, you know, that would be... I just have, I don't know, I have this idea that Aberforth's going to play a really big role in Book 7. I, I, well, do you, I think just, he's, do you think he's going to help Harry at all? Or do you think I'll he's going to kinda. be kind of a barrier? 
Uh, dung is the barrier. I, I think I think that's the contrast too between barman and 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 bar goer between dung and Aberforth. Thief is that I think I think Aberforth is actually yeah d- d- bartender and thief. The difference. Um, I think Aberforth will help Harry or or something. I mean, Aberforth was there with the prophecy. I mean, come on, he's got to Harry should know this, and Harry should just go into the Hogshead and ask him a question because this guy was there. You know. I guess so. Well, that's that's something that does make sense in book seven. Yeah. So wait, here's a question, guys. Um, if Aberforth is a good is a big character in book seven, will she call him Aberforth or will she call him Dumbledore? Will she slip up and just mention his last name? Because no, it be funny if someone Aberforth. Yeah, Aberforth <laughs> all the time. Because if somebody opened the book, like and and they read like Dumbledore walked across the room, they they would like scream it. You know, Albus is alive. He's alive. Here's a question. Actually, kind of uh, a couple of people emailed this. I was just looking through the Mogulcast emails for Aberforth. Uh, and a lot of people seem to think that maybe Aberth- Aberforth will be the one who takes over the Defense Against the Dark Arts role. Because, and this comes from Josh of Vermont via Texas, whatever that means. I was listening very closely to Claire's listing of the possible DA, DA teachers coming from current order members. She was really thorough. She was really thorough listing the lasting members and the most prominent, but JKR herself mentioned that there's a member of the Order we haven't seen at all who will be playing a role in the seventh book. <gasps> After pursuing the lexicon, who looks at the lexicon? HP Encyclopedia, all the way, <laughs> for the list of living Order members, most of which we've seen. I think Claire's glaring um, uh, glaring omission was Aberforth Dumbledore. Maybe he'll come in to teach DADA. What's he? What yeah, and, uh, and he'd offer a... Uh, yeah, drink drink a fire goat. whiskey and a goat. Yeah, for each person who gets <laughs> yeah. the right the right and a answer. Goat. Yeah, you, you'll have to sacrifice well, a goat for your exam. Yeah. <laughs> we should have brought that up last week, though. I mean, who's going to be the one? Who is the one that Joe was talking about? And this was in an interview with Emerson and Melissa. Remember, we're the order we haven't seen at all. Who would be playing a role? In yeah, but if we Any haven't ideas? seen them at all, it's not going to be Aberforth because we have seen him. Not much, though. Well, she Not said she said you haven't seen him, didn't she? I haven't seen it all. Well, this could be this could be paraphrased, you know. Just just go with it, Laura. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. We just agree with you. Yeah. So now nothing on that. All right, you're doing a disservice to uh, Redding because now this this report is just gonna say that the co-host in Redding was really lame. Listen, I'm sorry. I grabbed all the other things about Aberforth, but we went through them so fast. Um, there's just this. <laughs> this thing where he, he finds Trelawney, it down. It's true. No, he, he he finds Trelawney in the room. When is this? Sectum Sempra? The seer overheard. Here it is. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So he finds this. This is page five hundred six in the uh, in the UK edition. Oh 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 oh, oh uh, wait wait wait. Oh no, I can't find my book. Oh, book what? book six, page five hundred seven or so. No, um, I realize that, but. No, okay, I one sec. I think you'd better tell Professor Dumbledore, says Harry. This is when he finds Trelawney. He ought to know Malfoy is celebrating. I mean, that someone threw you out of the room. To his oh. surprise, Professor Trelawney drew herself up at this suggestion, looking haughty. Haughty. Looking what? Sorry. Intimated, <laughs> intimated <laughs> that he would prefer fewer visits from me. I'm not one to press my company upon those who do not value it. Uh, yeah. So wait, hang on. She. He, so Harry suggests she goes see Dumbledore. And and she says, you know, while they're walking to his office, I miss having you in my classes. You were never much of a seer, but you were a wonderful object. Hmm. Which is That's funny. the best chat-up line um, I've ever heard. I'm going to start using that. 
<laughs> you want a very good see ya, but... Come on. Okay. Sorry. She says, I well remember my first interview with Dumbledore, went on Professor Trelawney in Throaty Tones. He was deeply impressed, of course. Deeply impressed. I was staying at the Hogshead, which I do not inv- advise, incidentally. Bedbugs, dear boy. <laughs> this is an unkempt place. I mean... Ah. But funds were low. Dumbledore did me the courtesy of calling me in my room at the inn. He questioned me. I must confess that at first, although he seemed ill-disposed towards divination, and I remember I was starting to feel a little odd. I had not eaten that much day. But then, and now Harry was paying attention properly for the first time, for he knew what had happened then. Professor Trelawney had made the prophecy that had altered the course of his whole life, the prophecy about him and Voldemort. But then we were rudely interrupted by Severus Snape. Harry just blacks out. He's like, what? He's like, so my God, man. Yes. So my God, what, Snape? All right. (laughs) Yes, there was a commotion outside the door, and it flew open, and there was that rather uncouth barman standing with Snape, who was waffling about having come the wrong way up the stairs, although I'm afraid that I myself rather thought he had been apprehended eavesdropping on my interview with Dumbledore. You see, he himself was seeking a job at the time, and no doubt hoped to pick up tips. Well, after that, you know, Dumbledore seemed much more disposed to give me a job, and I could not help thinking, Harry, that it was because he appreciated the stark contrast between my own unassuming matters and quiet talent compared to the pushing, thrusting young man who was prepared to listen at the keyholes. And Harry just completely took off to yell at Dumbledore for hiring Snape and stuff. But so Snape, the things, why this is important, because Snape wanted a job before he... You know, he, he wanted to work at Hogwarts before uh, he sent Voldemort after Lillian James. Do you guys think that was to be a spy for Voldemort, maybe? was that Could that have been an initial plan even before he yes. applied? Or was it something it could have? I think so. Um, but so the barman uh, stopped, actually stopped Snape from... In fact, in a way, Aberforth saved Harry's life. You could draw that conclusion. Considering if Snape would have heard the whole full prophecy, uh, Voldemort might not have made that all those mistakes. Um, yeah, yeah, so we do. We have a voicemail true. about that actually really? later in the show. So, well, Snape hearing the full prophecy. So yeah, it, it is. Um, it is Aberforth who stopped Snape uh, from eavesdropping, which is interesting. But yeah, so that's cool. So he, that places him. He's at the scene of the crime. So. I just want to learn more from him. I think he has a good... I mean, he's Dumbledore's brother. How not intelligent, how not able to give information and help is he? Well, perhaps Dumbledore was just the lucky one and he turned out, you know, thick. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was saying. He's like the ugly duckling. Yeah. (laughs) The black sheep family. Yeah, but doesn't the ugly duckling turn into a beautiful swan? <gasps> Ooh, no, Laura. No, Laura, you're my best well, friend. Well, okay. Laura, maybe, Laura. Maybe that can be his role in the seventh Maybe book. in your Ooh, fantasy fueled uh, stories. <laughs> you know, in, in, in yes, real life, yes. Laura, that just that stuff just doesn't happen, okay? Life is a cruel, hard time. The world is a cold place and it's not worth fighting for. Okay, Ben. All right, Ben. Thank you. And to, to cap things off, call me Ben. <laughs> That concludes our main discussion in this week. And don't forget, if you, um, if anyone has a topic idea for us to discuss, feel, feel free to email it, mugglecast.staff.mugglenet.com. Uh, we have a new segment now that I'm really looking forward to. This is the Mugglecast dating service. You might remember last week that I put people up to this. Oh, yeah. Ooh, can I read can this I read one? the first one? I'm really Aww. excited about this. No, Andrew, you can't. Oh, no. 
No, okay, because no, no, no. Of course you can't. No, go on. You can't both go out with Michael White from Amherst, oh, Massachusetts. I'm sorry, but he's so tall and he likes long walks on the beach. <laughs> and you're singing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, no, well, go on, Andrew. We asked people last week to send in uh, their their uh, applications, and we got two of them. Um, so, ladies, listen up. This first one comes from Michael, 16 of Amherst, Massachusetts. <laughs> Got a camera right in front of me. Sorry, um, Michael. Uh, he's yeah, yeah. Oh, is that what you call it? <laughs> he's age sixteen. He's six foot three, and he enjoys long walks on the beach, dogs, paintball, volleyball, and Harry Potter. So, anyone in the Amherst, Massachusetts area would like to uh, get in touch with Michael, please email andrewsaft.mugglenet.com, and I'll get in touch with you. Uh, favorite music saves the day: Weezer, Goldfinger, Mugglecast, and Jamie Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, favorite movies, Fight Club, and 10 Things I Hate About You. Uh, favorite muggle caster is me, of course. What kind of question is that? Um, and he's looking for he's lo- he's looking for a fun girl, preferably in Western Mass, in a muggle cast list. Interesting himself. combination: Fight Club and 10 Things I Hate About You. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that he likes it of he likes sort of violent chick flicks. <laughs> and our second one in the uh, muggle cast dating service is Alan, 17 ish. Sounds a bit ominous. Seventeen-ish. What is By that? Seventeen. I mean, give or take, <laughs> give or take forty years. Yeah. Subject: MuggleNet dating. I would love a MuggleNet dating. If you guys could find me a girl that's as, that's as obsessed as I am. Obsessed with what? With what Wait though? a minute. That's an important question. I, I definitely invite you guys to the wedding and vote for you a billion, a billion times on podcast alley. Currently, I only vote a million or so times. <laughs> of course. Uh, well, we could use a billion, definitely. But yes, of course. Alan, we will find you a nice girl if you could send in exactly what you're looking for, uh, and we'll uh, we'll as get as right on it. As I am, okay. uh, must be about either Harry Potter or Muggle, yeah. Muggle cast. Um, not the greatest speller though, so if you're looking for someone who's expelling expelling yeah. in English, <laughs> I would not look for this one, ladies. Uh, voicemails this week. First one comes from uh, I don't know, but uh, fir- first voicemail this week comes from someone who has a question about uh, Micah's theory that Jamie posed last week. Hey guys, this is Mandy from Iowa calling about episode fifty-two of MuggleCast. In it, Jamie talks about Micah's theory of Harry's dream and Sorcerer's Stone being connected to Dumbledore's murder. Couldn't it be possible that the dream was referring to the night Harry's parents were killed? Um, in it, it talks about seeing Snape and hearing him hearing a laugh, a high-pitched laugh, couldn't it be connected to the theory that Snape was at Godric's Hollow when Voldemort killed Harry's parents and then um, laughed afterwards? Um, I think it definitely could, but um, that wouldn't explain why why Draco was there. And I think it, it, um, it follows so well that it's Draco and then he turns into Snape and then he, he kills... Um, Dumbledore. If this is the case, though, does that mean that Harry's a seer? Uh, no, it just no. means he's really uh, good. No, no, no. Laura, Laura, really Laura, Laura, Laura. Seek, uh, almost there. <laughs> oh, Jamie, you're so funny. There's that British humor again. <laughs> keep keep practicing, and, uh, you know, next week you may just have it. Next rebuttal is about hiring Lockhart, as we discussed last week. Hi, MuggleCast. This is Seth from Venice, California, with a listener rebuttal. I think the reason that Dumbledore hired Gilderoy Lockhart was partly because he needed a defense against the Dark Arts teacher and Gilderoy was the only one willing for the job. But also, Joe said in an interview somewhere, and I can't quote chapter and verse, that Dumbledore sometimes hires teachers even if they're incompetent or nasty or otherwise undesirable just because he wants students to have the life experience of dealing with the less savory side of human nature. So I think that's another reason he hired them. 
Thanks, and love the show. Bye. That is a good point well, I that we actually well, got last week. Yeah. I think what you guys are also forgetting is that Hagrid said in Chamber of Secrets that Lockhart was the only one yeah, who yeah, applied for the that's job. what I was going to say. Anyway, this guy couldn't chap, uh, quote chapter or verse. I don't know what his deal is, but he just somehow Or series. I know, right? Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I agree with him. Uh, but it was, you know, Lockhart was one of those... You know, I agree that Dumbledore kind of present. It was kind of what Harry could have used at that. You time. did well so far, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! No, it's it's kind of what Harry needed. You know, this, this whole clearly famous guy who, who knew nothing, and it it gave Harry the opportunity to really shine forward with his own. At, you know, at least in the Chamber of Secrets thing, if they'd had somebody like Moody, it would have maybe been. T- I don't know. It's just the way the books worked. I I think Lockhart came at an important time in the series. You, you know, it it showed Harry uh, definitely. I think it was for Harry's first view of the something that the public would have liked or thought or supported that he was in contrast with. I agree. That sounds pretty reasonable. Next rebuttal is about Fred and George and their uh, their uh, scheming at the Quidditch World Cup. Hello, y'all. This is Mary Pat from Queens. Um, I listen to y'all on the subway. Makes my commute go faster. I just listened to episode 52, and I wanted to comment on Fred and George's vet, Fred and George's vet at the Quidditch World Cup. I don't think they cheated or time-traveled or anything. I think this was an indication of what kind of shrewd businessmen Fred and George were going to be. First off, if you listen to, I think it was Harry, after the game is over, he does a little analysis of the game, The Irish chasers, Troy Mullet and Moran, I think were their names, um, were so good, there was no way Bulgaria was going to ever catch up once they started to lead. And Crum was, of course, the best best seeker ever. So it was probably a pretty good chance that Crum would get the snitch and a very good chance that Ireland would win the match. The combination, of course, is not as as likely, but um, they needed to take the risk, and that's part of being a shrewd businessman is knowing when to take a big risk in order to get a big payoff. And you start to see that, whoops, excuse me, you start to see that uh, when they open their shop and also the way they leave the school, they have to take big risks in order to be successful, and they just happen to be smart and shrewd enough to make it work. And that is my theory on their bet. Too bad that the bookmaker they placed their bet with wasn't an honest dealer. Anyway, love the show and hope to hear the next one. Thank you. Bye bye. So my God, man! Good, I, nice and long, right? I, well, I, I love how she's from Queens and says y'all. I like it when they say y'all, especially when they're from Queens. But um, this has got to be my favorite, one of my favorite voicemails because thinking about it, she said it wasn't exactly that. I, uh, you know that 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 far off or a, a far fetched idea for the kind of scenario that played out to actually happen. I I think the way she put that, it was done very well, and I I think uh, it seems a lot less uh, necessary that Fred and George would have had to use time travel. It's just a bunch of agreeing today. It is. I know we uh, we're all so passive. Yeah, we are. I couldn't feel more passive today. Hi, this is Amanda. I'm from Michigan. I want to know what you guys would think how it would feel like. If you were the only non-magical person in the whole family of wizards, like how Ron would feel if he was the only non-magical person in his whole family. Thanks. Bye. I'd feel left out and I'd feel ashamed. I'd be kind of annoyed as well that all my friends and all my family could 
conjure computers and stuff. But see, what you guys don't know is that Jamie is the only non-magical person. I am, family. yeah. <laughs> That's why I Andrew's am. dad gave him the lucky charms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> He's speaking from the I, heart. I was crying to Andrew's dad all night that I didn't have any magical powers. So, he's, so he just, you know, he, he gave them to me in the hope that they'd uh, ignite Make my you feel uh, magically you know, delicious or something. Exactly. Uh, just by like the way, that. Jamie, are those uh, magic? Are those lucky charms uh, magically replenishing themselves? Or yes, they are. Oh my it, gosh. They've turned into eighteen boxes so far. <laughs> they're no, they're reproducing in your in your cupboard. Yeah, you know, they are. So, they're mating. I'm not sure why the person asked this question, but I guess she just wants our feelings on it, and uh, well, we'd be sad. Of course, we'd be sad. It'd be like um, um, insert something funny here. It'll be like everyone in. Your family being being like amazing musicians, and you being right, yeah, useless. Yeah, <laughs> you get or it would be like, the be like the ugly being duckling. the only person in your family who liked to talk about Harry Potter all day. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Can you imagine what that would be like. People listen to the <laughs> show because we connect with them, and uh, that's it. That's why. Next voicemail could possibly reveal why Harry could not be killed when Voldemort tried to when he was a kid in Godric's Hollow. Uh, we already know why he Are you ready for killed. this? No, you're... No, not until you hear this. Hi, this is Sarah from Maryland. Um, I was just rereading Order of the Phoenix, and I wonder what you guys thought about this passage. It's on page 791, chapter 35 of Beyond the Veil. The Death Eater had pulled his head out of the belt jar. His appearance was utterly bizarre, his tiny baby's head bawling loudly while his thick arms flailed dangerously in all directions, narrowly missing Harry, who ducked. Harry raised his wand, but to his amazement, Hermione sees his arm. You can't hurt a baby. Now, as we all know, Hermione usually speaks the truth. And if this is true, could Voldemort have hurt Harry as a baby? Just wanted to hear what you guys thought. Bye. Uh, I think she's speaking figuratively when she said you can't you can't hurt a baby. Like, it's... It, you know, it would be wrong to hurt a baby. Yeah, I think that that was kind of Hermione reacting in horror at the yeah. idea that Harry would hurt try a baby. to curse a baby. But that does bring up another point. We got an email about a while ago, and I wanted to bring it to the show, but... Or maybe we did talk about this on the show. Hermione is always right. Well, no, she wasn't... But this not isn't except, her... This is not Hermione. Except when she gets emotional. Yes, yes, right? yes, yes. Well, yes. that, but also this isn't her matter-of-factly speaking. You cannot hurt a baby, Harry. This is her saying... You know, this is her... Oh, my God, man, Harry, you can't do that, man. You can't hurt a baby. Hermione Hermione sees his arm. She's like, what are you doing? You can't hurt a baby. And Harry could have retorted, you know, oh, but it's really a Death Eater. But she was just using... It was like her mother instinct, you know, as as a girl, you know, they already got the Death Eater. He's got a baby for a head. You know, he's he's got this (laughs) baby-faced Death Eater. You know, they've got him. You don't need to fire another curse. So it was just Hermione, her, her mother instinct saying, you know, you can't hurt a baby, not factually speaking, you know, Harry, you can't hurt a baby, so yeah, don't, yeah. don't don't even bother trying. Don't waste a spell. That's not what she's saying. Yeah. And where would you draw the distinction? I mean, saying you can't hurt a baby, but you can hurt a 10-year-old? Because there was – wasn't it in Half-Blood Prince, the Montgomery sisters, their little brother was killed? Yeah, He was yeah. like 10. So I just don't see where that kind of distinction could be drawn because most parents view children as their babies forever. Well, no. No, it depends – which side you're on? I mean, Greyback kills their brother, didn't he? Yeah, he, he Greyback kills your baby. Kids or, or if you're, but it, do, but yeah, it doesn't exactly. matter if there's some kind of magical protection. Over no, there's baby. not. There's not. It's yeah. just a. It, it there isn't. Only, it's um. I don't yeah. think it's so just, either. That's what I'm saying. Speaking, I think it was just Hermione's maternal yeah, the, instinct. 
there can be magic that that is triggered by age. Like for instance, the spells on Privet Drive that will go last, off when he's seventeen. You know, yeah. Go off when he's seventeen. That kind of thing. But it's not. I don't think it's regularly like an actual regular mm-hmm. occurrence. Is is Tony leaving us? I know the photographer was just leaving. Tony's going to stick around and talk with her after. You know, it was a problem this week that they came because I couldn't podcast naked like I normally yeah. do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, had to be I know, right? It's so inconvenient. And put on some clothes. Didn't. Yeah, it didn't, didn't work out. <laughs> um, okay, well, that does it for voicemails this week. Now, as I'm sure quite a few people have noticed, with the Dumbledore quotes, I have just been taking Chuck Norris quotes and uh, turning them to Dumbledore quotes, which is not difficult. You just take out the word Chuck Norris and put in the word Dumbledore. So, But then I thought, well, they aren't very original if you do that. So starting now, we're going we're gonna to do some original Dumbledore quotes, and we've already been sent some in. And we're going to start doing them, you know, from now on. So, so, so if anyone has any original ones, please do send them in. For example, one person <laughs> sent one in today that Dumbledore was made head boy while he was still on the train on the, the Hogwarts Express in his first year. <laughs> also, also that Dumbledore told the Sorting Hat which house he was going to be in in Hogwarts. And my personal favourite of the week, when a basilisk looks into Dumbledore's eyes, it suffers an instant death. <laughs> that was hilarious. How could you not laugh at that? I guess I'm, I guess I'm just going to have stuff, to right? rent Wasn't some Chuck British? Norris films because... I just... Yeah, I need to have a talk with yeah, Laura and is... Eric and Ben who's here. <laughs> what about... Why don't you guys think they're funny? Well, hey, if it helps, if it helps, my dad worked on the set of a Chuck Norris film. Really? That's awesome. No yeah. Invasion USA. Did he get his autograph? No, I don't think so. Was Chuck Norris as cocky as he appears on screen? I don't know. This was back before I was born. <laughs> I I don't think Chuck Norris has a lot to do with any of these Chuck Norris jokes. I think it's just his fans that started this. Probably, yeah. How about... Because he's he's a real tough guy on the show, and um, so that's where these... And they're sort of like the Jack Bauer jokes. Yeah, they are, yeah. Oh, it's Jack Bauer. There is no chin behind Dumbledore's beard. Only another wand. (laughs) 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 What, What about if Jack Bauer and Chuck Norris had a fight... Dumbledore would win. I think that's good. <laughs> or that is w- good. when Dumbledore and Chuck Norris walked into a room, the room collapsed because that much awesomeness cannot be contained in one building. <laughs> it's now time for the second installment of Andrew's <laughs> email of the week. No, that was bad. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it, it can. <laughs> It concerns my easy button. It sounds a little like this. That was easy. Uh, Alyssa, thirteen, of Massachusetts. Uh, <laughs> battery's dying. It's getting quieter with every push. Alyssa, thirteen, of Massachusetts, writes, "Hey, Andrew, when you mentioned the easy button on your website and played it on the show, I immediately wanted one. I'm sure I'm not the only person, and you should have Staples pay you because you brought them business. Love the show. Keep up the great work, Alyssa. The reason why this is my." <laughs> Email of the week is because the money from these go to charity, and I am not the kind of person who would steal money from charity uh, just by promoting the easy button. No. Nope. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have been working with Staples to promote the easy button, and uh, you can purchase these at your local Staples store for only $5, and it benefits the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. That was easy. That was quite easy, wasn't it? <laughs> Jamie, I notice now you've been a you've been a little moody for the past hour. What's uh, what's going on? Uh, you, have a, you have a story to tell us or something? Well, I haven't uh, 
I have a. Uh, I can't see. I can't even think of the word. Story. It's kind of story. Yeah, story. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> well, I have a a half confession as well. I haven't got a joke this week. Now, normally I'd apologise, but, but but there's a story behind it, so I, I, I won't. <laughs> I thought I, w- I would be an extremely nice person and clean the kitchen, and I brought the bin, the quite bit. Sorry, the trash can, man. I got the, uh, t- the uh, trash can, took it outside, and filled it up with water to clean it because it was dirty. Then I bent down to pick it up so I could move it to the drain and pour the water away. However, I didn't realise it, it it was this heavy. So I got down, put my hand on it, went to lift it up, and uh, I didn't lift it because it was too heavy. And uh, basically, uh, to cut a long story short, I've torn all the muscles in my lower back, and it hurts. Oh, uh, I vaguely so remember much. you telling me about that. Yeah. <laughs> And I can hardly move, and it hurts to do absolutely everything. And and they keep spasming and causing me to, like, almost fall over. So th- that's why, A, I don't have a joke, and B, I've been moody this entire show, and C, my jokes have been jokes but haven't really been jokes. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How does he do that? Jamie, have you consulted a doctor? Because, frankly, yeah. I'm worried about you. Yeah, I have. Oh, you yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. And on the doctor's side. The, I've torn my muscles. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Send James some painkillers. Yeah, and yeah. they hopefully will. The P.O. box. Yeah. They'll get with me in 2015, so I'll tear them again then, just so I can use the pain the painkillers. <laughs> okay, Eric, um, are you going to do your thing now? Yeah, sure. Uh, you want to intro okay. it, though, because... Yeah, we're going we're gonna to start a new segment this week. Um, we're going to call it Eric... And I... You know, we'd been kicking this one around for a while, and when thinking of who would be the best co-host to defend a theory down to the wire uh, with his life depending on it, it would definitely be Eric. So Eric's going to start a weekly segment, or attempt to make it weekly. It's going to be the Crackpot Theory of the Week. Eric. (laughs) Okay, Uh, for this first Crackpot Theory of the Week, we go back to... You know, we go back in time. Couple. Hold on, wait, wait. Let me explain this more because I thought you were gonna know. Crack by theory of the week, where Eric will take a theory that he finds online, or maybe one that you send in, and he will defend it with all his might, as outrageous as it might sound, but it could very well be possible. Uh, so go ahead, Eric. You've completely crushed. <laughs> you've built up this this sort of you know big big tension for this really good. I don't know. All right. So for this first. Crackpot Theory of the Week, we go back in time, a couple weeks, to Lumos. Lumos 2006 in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, oh, by the way, uh, I have pictures of Lumos and Vegas and New York City on my private gallery, crownskull.com slash gallery. Okay, that's just that's just that for, for people who want to relive. Now, um, okay, so going back to Lumos, there was uh, a few panel discussions, and Steve Vander Ark from hplexicon.org, hp hyphen lexicon.org, uh, was, was in one of his keynote speeches, I th- or w- one of his speeches, and at the very end, he fooled, or he surprised everybody w- with, with a strange theory as to why Dumbledore isn't dead. Or, well, you know, later on in New York City, J.K.R. confirmed this, so I can't really defend it to the T, but he suggested that Dumbledore couldn't be dead because Dumbledore and Professor Slughorn switched bodies before entering the cave. If you pay close attention, and the reason this floored everybody, everybody went silent, was because in the cave there are several instances where Dumbledore uses uh, OHO, O-H-O, 
um, as 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 a kind of response to start his stories, and it, it's just this this very awkward for for Dumbledore to all of a sudden be saying "oho" a lot, and he's waiting around in the cave, and people. So the theory is, I guess, that Dumbledore and, and Slughorn switch bodies. That Slughorn used the Polyjuice potion, and then that it was Slughorn who was killed, and that's why Dumbledore's still alive. And people were just floored and and completely silent. And Steve Vanderark totally pwned everybody, and everybody walked out like, "Oh my god!" So um, I guess I'm supposed to defend this to the T, but J.K.R. kind of said. That he died, and also uh, Mr. Weasley says "oh ho" once I think in book five. I was reading so crackpot theory. Well, crackpot theory should also be theories that are completely crackpot. I've got a different idea. Okay, can we, can we um inst- can we put like a spin on this? Basically, you don't know what the theory is before the show, and then we come up with a theory and we say it to you, and you oh, have that's to a good idea. for five minutes just defend it and come up with all the evidence and yeah. just <laughs> improvised. Improvised. From so we're gonna ask the listeners to send in theories that are crazy but could be true, and then we pose them to Eric right on and the show. Yeah, and he has to improvise, uh, you know, and defend it for like two or three minutes, completely improvised. Okay, I, I like that actually a lot. Yeah, All right, so listeners, subject I'm line: crackpot theory. Pose the theory. Pose your points. We'll read them to Eric. Eric will defend uh, them to the death. Oh, Go but but no points. Yeah. I, I almost want to ask no points. Because okay, they're then just a theory. Just, just a theory. Right. Even if you have points for it, don't share them and see if I bring them up. But keep in mind that Eric has to defend it for a few minutes, so few don't make minutes? it something that, that could be... Well, two or three minutes, so make it a theory that it can yeah. last... You know, it's not stupid. It's okay. discussion-worthy. Okay. Oh, by the way, Eric... MuggleCast at staff.mugglecast.com. You guys, you guys Laura, Laura especially, remembers Eric. You know the wand checker, Eric, from uh, Book 5? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you brought him up on the show. He has a last name. I was, As I said, I was reading Book 5, and he has his last name is Munch. Yeah, yeah, it is. is. He has Eric Munch, Munch and and, and he arrests uh, Sturgis Podmore. He's on night duty in the Department of Mysteries. So he must be important to have a job in the Department of Mysteries. Cool. Okay, cool. Well, I believe that does wrap up our show this week. We hope you enjoyed our uh, (laughs) testing of Crackpot Theory. I did. I think Jamie's idea is um, one last email comes from Surami Surama Suriyama so yeah this is from Suriyama 21 from Bonn in Germany subject chapter by chapter I just wanted to ask you if you'll continue with the chapter by chapter segment I really liked it and miss it a lot I love your show and all of you it's by far the best podcast regards Suri thank you Suri yeah we've been getting a lot of emails like this lately wondering where chapter by chapter is and like we said at the end of uh, the last one that we'd be taking a break off it but we are going to bring it back very soon um, yeah, I think. I, but we're working on a new format yeah. for it in order to uh, make it better. I, I guess I just have to send you a, a kind of uh, you know reformed, revised outline about how to clearly state things right, Andrew. So shouldn't we? Could we promise getting it on next week? Could we? Could we do that? Can everybody read? I think it'll be the first uh, two, yeah, two fair. chapters. First two chapters of book two. Two. Wow. Two. Yes. Next week, I'll tell you, people, with with this new crackpot theory of the week, with this chapter by chapter book two starting up. Next week is going to be Eric Tastic. <laughs> oh God! Oh, God. Jesus. <laughs> I, I'm stoked. And and by the way, I check out the gallery. Crownsgold.com/slash/gallery. So. Yeah, yeah. Right. If you cannot believe next week's show is going to be Eric Tastic, then please remember to call in with all your excitement to one two and eight <coughs> twenty magic in the UK. You can die all. <laughs> 
It's loading really you, slow. You're t- <laughs> 020 8144 in Australia. You can use 028035668. We haven't been getting many calls from these places. It's because you say so double four double oh seven double eight I picked double numbers, so it's like catchy, sort of. So people no, it sounds different. awesome, but I, I would hate to be the oh. person who has to slow down your voice on the show and actually catch it. 020 8144 UK zero two eight zero zero three five six six eight in Australia. If you didn't catch that, just go to MuggleCast.com and click on contact. Also, Skype the username MuggleCast. Email MuggleCast at staff.mugglenet.com with your uh, with your uh, dating uh, yeah. dating uh, dating uh, dating uh, things. If you like Michael or Alan, please email Andrew at staff.mugglenet.com and let us know. Uh, if you like goats, we'll hope, uh, we'll, send in a rebuttal. Hopefully we'll get you two together. Yeah. <laughs> about, about Aberforth? Those rebuttals. You know, you guys know how we do the show by now. Send everything in. And also check LeakyMug.com uh, this week for more information on Leaky Mug Live in California before the podcast awards. We'll all be out there. to party! Woo! That wraps up MuggleCast episode 53. <laughs> I'm Andrew Sims. I am Airtastic. I'm Laura Thompson. And I'm Jem. Jamie, you Jam. were supposed to fight Jam. me for that. We're supposed no to be way. fighting no over way. that I'm last place now. Laura, Laura, Like we were Laura. at the beginning of the show. Laura, I'm in so much pain now, you just have to poke me and I'd fall over and give in, seriously. <laughs> 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 we'll see you all next week for episode 54. 54. Adios. Bye-bye. Bye. Ciao. In commemoration now of Mike Tannenbaum's one year of news podcasting here on MuggleCast, here is his very first news segment, which he is very, very embarrassed of. Thanks, Andrew. Let's begin with our top news story. Start spreading the news. Don't worry, I won't break out singing Frank Sinatra, but Warner Brothers announced Friday that the Big Apple will host the U.S. premiere of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire on November 12, 2005. The world premiere will take place a week earlier, on November 6th, in London. Speaking of Goblet of Fire, on Wednesday, Warner Brothers officially released the international trailer with amazing shots of the Quidditch World Cup and all three tasks in the Triwizard Tournament. Listeners can check out this new trailer by logging on to the film's official website at www.gobletoffire.com. Staying with the topic of movie premieres, Katie Lung, who portrays Cho Chang, and Robert Pattinson, who portrays Cedric Diggory, both recently attended the Dukes of Hazard premiere in Leicester Square, London. Hopefully, they weren't taking any acting lessons. Finally, wrapping up our movie news for this week, Tom Felton, who portrays Draco Malfoy, will supposedly stay on through the filming of the seventh Harry Potter movie. He spoke about it while hosting the third annual Junior Carp Tournament, saying, I'll keep doing it as long as they want me to. In other news, a Dutch Harry Potter fan named Dennis just couldn't wait for the release of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, so he made his own rendition, entitled Harry Potter and the Torch with Green Flames, which he started writing back in January of 2004. And while publishing of his creation was forbidden, it was uploaded onto the internet, in Dutch for those of you who wish to read. Moving from the Netherlands to France, the French cover of Half-Blood Prince was released on Tuesday, which is similar in style to the American Deluxe Edition. The book is due out in France on October 1st. 
Finally, if you didn't have a chance to participate, on Thursday, MuggleNet staffer Jamie Lawrence hosted a chat with Matthew Lewis, who portrays Neville Longbottom. You can log on to MuggleNet.com to check out the transcript. And before we leave, two birthday announcements to make. One to Rupert Grint, the actor who portrays Ron Weasley in the Harry Potter films, turned 17, and to MuggleNet senior staffer Ben Shane, who turned 16, both on Tuesday. Happy birthday to both of you, and I'd sing happy birthday, but I assume you want to keep your ratings up. Of course, you can get more in-depth news, pictures, videos, and audio clips of all the things mentioned by logging on to MuggleNet.com. That's all the news for this August 28, 2005 edition of MuggleCast. Back to you guys. They're coming to take him away, ha ha, they're coming to take him away, ho ho, he he, ha ha, to the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time, and I'll be happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats. <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. You're welcome. <laughs>